So previously you were talking about how you had a top 100 of horror films, and I'm curious if you actually have a list of your top 100. Yeah, I guess 100 was a little ambitious. So after that episode, I was able to jot down about 40 pretty easily. That's pretty good. Yeah, but but after that, it was like, it almost seemed kind of pointless because now just you know, listing movies that I've seen that I, you know, that I liked. Yeah. So what's the point of the list? I also found that I was thinking about how to order them. And I'm like, that was, I guess, if I spent tons of time on it. But that's really difficult because, I don't know, with me, my attitude towards movies will change over time, right? Yeah. So the first, I think the first four are pretty easy. Top four are pretty easy. But still, I wouldn't necessarily order them. Halloween, The Exorcist, Night of the Living Dead, and The Orphanage, or El Orfanato. El Fornato. Is that how you would say it? (laughs) I don't know what you're trying (laughs) to say. The Spanish word for the orphanage. El El Orfanato. (laughs) I don't know. I can't say it. I I wouldn't know. I don't know how I passed it. (laughs) The Guillermo del Toro J.A. Bayona film it's been a while i think we we watched that when you were really young you're probably about four when no (laughs) no i do not let my daughter watch (laughs) scary movies when she's four years old no i probably poop myself (laughs) (laughs) i was kind of disappointed that you know for how big of a stephen king fan i am that other than maybe the recent remake of it and well carrie too i guess i'd put carrie uh there but for all the horror movies that they've done from his work, there really isn't much I could put even into my top 40. I think that's because they weren't really portrayed well or they just don't translate well. Yeah. Cause, yeah, I think translate not translating well is probably good. Yeah. But I would say the remake of It is probably the best one. We could get into a whole episode about movies made on Stephen, based on Stephen King. It's funny that his non-horror stuff has made the best movies. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, like I said, that could be a whole other episode. But that was it. Those, so those were my top four. I did come up with 40 is pretty easy because there's a lot of movies that these days that have a lot of good sequels. Yeah. So Insidious, I liked all four of those movies. And then all the the Conjuring movies. Yeah. Even The Nun, I would put in, probably put in the top 40. I don't know. Uh, that would be kind of iffy. I actually didn't mind yeah. The Nun. Well, not the night I was thinking of uh, Annabelle Comes Home. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just I think it was kind of overdone. Yeah, we won't get into that again. But anyway, enough of that. So on to we did watch Psycho last week. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of that? It was a little weird and not at all what I was expecting. I think because it's really famous for the shower scene. And I want to say, like, no spoilers, but I mean, come on, it's a really old movie. And, like, if you haven't seen it, that's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it it was such a short scene for how famous it was. And it was, like, that's how Psycho was remembered and recognized was for that scene. 
And it was just kind of disappointing to me. I don't know. I wasn't expecting it to be like this huge long scene, but I don't know. It was just kind of disappointing that it was just like, it just seemed so small compared to the whole movie. Yeah, that's kind of the first, the kind of the reaction I had the first time that I saw it. Yeah. So again, it yeah, was not my era. Like, I watch Psycho like you probably watch Halloween. Yeah. We should have Grandma on the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I remember her talking about Halloween and how she said that it scared her so much. And to me, it's kind of funny, not like it wasn't scary at the time. Yeah. Before we move on from this, we're rambling about this, but what is your all-time favorite movie? Oh, man. I should have had this before. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, kind of. Um, or what, what what's the one maybe not your all-time favorite but i know you talked about uh the ring right yeah is so is that the one that's like maybe not your favorite but the one that just freaked you out the most or the one you have the biggest memory of yeah that one is probably the scariest for me it obviously it doesn't well not obviously but it doesn't scare me now but when i first watched it i couldn't sleep <laughs> around a tv <laughs> But yeah, that was probably like the most memorable of how I felt during the movie. I think I would also go with Halloween is probably a movie I can watch every year. Like there's some horror movies that I can't like I like them, but I can't watch over and over again. But I think Halloween, I think just because it's a classic, I can watch over and over. Yeah. So that said, totally forgot. um, What are you talking about tonight? So I'm going to be talking about the famous JonBenet Ramsey story. Uh, very unfortunate. A lot of people go into detail about the case itself, but I don't hear a lot about all the theories. So I'm going to have like a brief like description of what happened, not into too much detail because I imagine a lot of people know about it. And I'm going to just talk about all the theories of the case because a lot of them are out there. Well, I don't know anything about the story other than the obviously, you know, the basics of what happened. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm interested. Okay. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> On December 25th of 1996, six-year-old JonBenet Ramsey was killed in her home in Boulder, Colorado. Police were called by her parents, John and Patsy Ramsey, at 5.52 the next morning to report their missing child. A ransom note was found demanding $118,000. Later that afternoon, JonBenet's body was found under a blanket in the basement. She had been beaten, strangled, bound with tape over her mouth, and her hands tied together with a cord. There had also been signs of sexual assault. Boulder police did a poor job preserving the evidence and allowed John Ramsey to move his daughter's body from the basement, which disrupted the crime scene. I don't know if you heard any of the information about how the crime scene was not very well preserved. Yeah, I did hear a little bit, a bit about that. I think that was the big thing about how messed up the whole investigation was. Yeah, again, not even with, you know, her father disrupting the scene, but there was a lot of people walking around in and out of the house that weren't investigating. It's just amazing in this day and age, you know, I and mean, you hear a lot about that in the old days where... Uh, tons of people would come to the crime scene and people are walking all over the place. Yeah. But you th- you think they'd have a little more control. I, I think also in their mindset at the time, it was just a missing person. 
and not a murder case yet. This was like before they found the body, I'm pretty sure, that everyone was walking around. But still, you would think, you know, you'd want to limit the people that are in the house. Yeah. There were no signs of an intruder, so the suspicion fell on John Bonet's parents. The ransom note for $118,000 was oddly specific since it had matched the amount of John Ramsey's bonus. The paper that the ransom note was written on was paper that was also found in the Ramsey home, and the note appeared to be unusually wordy. Did they ever, probably detail you didn't hear about, but I was wondering if they knew who knew what the size of his bonus was. You know, what people knew, what, what people could have possibly written the note. It could be his boss. But I don't know if anyone else knew. And I think that's why it mainly fell on her parents um, Well, uh, being suspected. Assuming his wife would know, right? Yeah. But how old was uh, the brother at the time? Was he a suspect or was he really young? Um, I do get into okay. that. I don't know if I wrote his age down, though. Okay. <laughs> but I do get into all that. The investigation continued for more than two years. But in October of 1999, the grand jury hearing evidence and the case was finally dismissed with no recommendation for filing charges so now i want to get into the theories because there are so many surrounding her death a popular theory is that john benet's parents are the ones responsible for her death the theories stem from their strange behavior after and the lack of footsteps in the snow surrounding the home patsy ramsey said that she found out john benet was missing when she had found the two-and-a-half-page handwritten ransom note at the bottom of the stairs. The note was filled with quotes from movies including Dirty Harry and Ransom and Speed. Wow, that's bizarre. I think it's really bizarre that it's a two-and-a-half-page handwritten note from paper in their house. Yeah, that, that means yeah. Who, who, would write, who would stop and, and write that note? Yeah. Well, it, obviously the note was to cover it up, right? It was throw people off. Yeah. There was no belief that a ransom was ever being asked yeah well considering she never left the house now go back to the the snow i don't remember this um you said there was no no tracks around the house no aside from like the main like entrances and stuff but like the window in the basement that she was found there were no footsteps outside in the snow or like disrupting it so if somebody came in they would have come through one of the main entrances and then back up yes analysis of the handwriting states that it was most likely written by women patsy was believed to be strict some claiming that she would physically punish john benet for peeing the bed and had accidentally killed her staging the kidnapping to cover it up in 2006 patsy passed away from ovarian cancer was it the belief that she was covering up for somebody else or she was covering up for herself? Because that's kind of strange with the whole sexual abuse part of it. Yeah. The thing was, some were claiming that she was the one who punished. As far as the sexual assault, I don't want to get into like okay, detail yeah, yeah, about let's, that. Let's, let's skip over that. So <laughs> let's go on. Go ahead. But yeah, I mean, some are claiming that she had, like, John Bonet had peed the bed, maybe, and punished her, but accidentally killed her. So staging as a kidnapping. John Ramsey found his daughter dead in the basement wine cellar and had carried her upstairs. He removed the tape from her mouth and covered her in a blanket, which could have destroyed important evidence. In 2008, Patsy and John were cleared of involvement due to DNA evidence. 
John Bonet's older brother, Burke Ramsey, was nine years old when she was murdered. Some believe that he had killed her when he angrily threw a flashlight at her head. There was a blood on her head and a flashlight in the kitchen where the two had allegedly eaten pineapple before bed. In autopsy reports, there was still undigested pineapple in JonBenet's stomach, which means she had eaten it shortly before being killed. This theory suggests that the parents are to blame for covering it up. Obviously, he was too young to orchestrate this whole thing on his own. Yeah. Uh, they would cover that up. Yeah, especially if it was accident. Like Yeah, save save the one child, sacrifice the child for the other child or something, yeah. you know, something like that where which is odd because I mean, not that it's right either way, but it's odd because she seemed to have been the more favorite considering she was into pageants and stuff. Well, if it was an accident and they decided to cover it up. Yeah. You know, cuz is an accident what's going to happen to him? Yeah. At to a 9-year-old. But if they cover it up and they get caught, you know, what's going to happen to them? You think like, it seems like just facing what happened would be a, a much lower risk for them yeah. and him than if they they discovered the cover-up. Even today, like, her brother had plenty of moments to confess to it. Because I don't think he would get in trouble for being so young and admitting to it now, considering his parents were the one. Like, he still doesn't talk about it. Hmm. Yeah, that's weird. I imagine it, it has to do with trauma, too. I mean, that's a big deal to go through at a young age. Yeah, either whether he was involved or not. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be traumatic. A man by the name of John Mark Carr, who had been arrested on multiple charges, including child pornography, claimed that he was in the Ramsey house that night and saw JonBenet die, but wasn't the one who murdered her. He said... Nobody wanted that little girl to die that night. Nobody. Her death was an accident. I was with her when she died, but I was not the person who caused it. Carr claims to still know the identity of the killer. He had said that he staged the crime scene in order to throw the police off track from the real killer. He was cleared from any charges after no tissue samples or bodily fluids matched his at the scene, which contradicted his theory. That's just such a bizarre story. That he was there, but didn't have anything to do with it. Well, what the hell was he doing there? It sounds like he just made up the fact that he was there. I think he just wanted attention. A longtime suspect has allegedly confessed to accidentally killing John Bonet in a series of letters to a former high school classmate. Gary Olivia is a convicted pedophile and is serving a 10-year sentence for possession of child pornography. He is up for parole in 2020. He was up for parole <laughs> in 2020. Um, but there was no time as to when in 2020, especially with how 2020 was. Well, it seems like a lot of people are wanting to admit to being involved in this, yet they haven't been able to figure out who actually did it. Yeah. It gets more bizarre. That's why I wanted to do the theories and those who confess because i don't really i the only ones i've ever heard were the parents and the brother and an unknown intruder like those were the only theories i heard um these ones specifically when i read it i was interested in yeah how they kind of don't get talked about a lot he had written in a letter I never loved anyone like I did John Bonet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die. 
It was an accident. Please believe me. She was like no other kid. In another letter, he said, John Bonet completely changed me and removed all evil from me. Just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing, beautiful skin, and her divine God body, I realized I was wrong to kill other kids. Yet by accident, she died, and it was my fault. Now he says she removed all evil from him, but then continues to talk about her appearance. This is a little girl. Well, he's just a sick, sick individual. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And demented that he's he's injected himself into this story. Yeah. The classmate he wrote to, Michael Vale, said that Gary called him late at night on December 26. Gary had said, I hurt a little girl, but didn't give much more information aside from the fact that he was in Boulder, Colorado. The next day, Michael read on the front page of the newspaper, Girl 6, slain in Boulder, Colorado. He called the police to tell him about the confession, but the police never got back to him. Gary was a registered sex offender whose listed address was not far from the Ramsey house. He reportedly attended the candlelight vigil shortly after JonBenet's murder. Despite many tips from Michael Vale, the Boulder police didn't consider Gary Olivia a suspect until 2000, when he was arrested on unrelated charges. Police then found a photo of JonBenet a poem he'd written titled Ode to John Bonet and a stun gun in his possession. Many investigators had theorized that a stun gun was used to subdue John Bonet on the night she was murdered. The investigation had lost interest when the new DNA methods failed to match his DNA to crime scene evidence. Uh, the Boulder Police Department has since acknowledged that the crime scene was mishandled. Now we're going to get into some strange theories. Oh, it gets stranger. Yeah. Oh, okay. A Santa Claus impersonator named Bill McReynolds was at the Ramsey house two nights before JonBenet was killed. He reportedly gave her a card that said, you will receive a very special gift after Christmas. Because of how vague that message was, some believed he was behind the murder. McReynolds claimed he was innocent, and died in 2002. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such a bizarre message to note to give to a child. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I can see this gets weirder and weirder that there's so many people that you could look at and say, this is very suspicious the way you're acting. Yeah. But then you have a whole list of these type of people. How did, how did so many crazy people get involved in this one murder? Another strange theory is that Katy Perry is John Benet Ramsey. I had never heard that before. Yeah, I've heard it quite <laughs> a bit. A 2014 YouTube video claimed that John Benet's parents staged the murder and their child is alive and living her life as a pop star. So, where did they? There's no body or anything? Is that what the police are in on this and everything? <laughs> well, yeah, they're are so many photos documenting Katy Perry as a child. And the other thing is Katy Perry was born like in 1984 and JonBenet was in 1990. So where did, I wonder where that started from. That's weird. Yeah. Well, just somebody saw her and said, wow, she kind of looks like JonBenet. I bet that's. I think that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a lot of people believe Michael Jackson is still alive. I uh, never heard that. Really? I mean, 
I heard about Elvis, but <laughs> I don't think anybody cares about him anymore because who wants to see Elvis on stage with a walker and a <laughs> and an oxygen tank? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> now I have that image in my head. <laughs> so what's the deal with Michael Jackson still being alive? I'm surprised you never heard of that. I haven't. I. Uh... I always assume that he didn't really die the way they said that his his chimp um what? his chimp bubbles chimp escaped. yeah he had a chimp <laughs> I don't know he had a pet chimp and then he went he, they had to send him to a preserve Aww. when he became an adult but I always assumed he escaped and came back and killed Michael Jackson <laughs> is that a real like theory <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Is that just a theory that he's he's alive? Well, I've seen, you know, quote, video evidence. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, have there been sightings? Have uh, there been sightings? Yeah. Well, there's like this video that people have going around that he like walks out. Like he's like in a parking garage and walks out of like the coroner's van and then goes into the building. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I'm surprised there's not more of that then. You know, because I never heard of that. But like I said, in the in the era when Elvis still being alive was a big thing. It was like always on the radio. Like people would be calling up claiming to be Elvis and they'd be talking to the host and stuff. And you know, just crazy shit. You know, it's a lot of people believe that a lot of celebrities have faked their death because of the fame getting to be too much and if they fake their own death then they don't have to really deal with like reporters and all that is it that or is that an excuse for the people who just don't want to let go I have you no know idea. they have these these celebrities that they just idolize and they just can't deal with the fact that they're gone yeah i don't know i mean i wouldn't be surprised if someone's faked their death for that reason yeah. i feel like it's just well like the movie uh Eddie and the Cruisers, right? Remember that? No. Or he faked his death. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, back to John Bonet and Katy Perry lookalikes. I don't really see a resemblance, but I think it's... I mean, there's a lot of people who have similarities to other people. That doesn't mean that they're related. Yeah, I think that's just... Yeah, somebody, somebody who's bored came up with a... It's just amazing how easily these theories take hold yeah all right we'll discount that one <laughs> um you're probably going to discount this one too <laughs> by far the wildest theory would have to be that an owl or some other wild animal did it an owl i want to be careful here an owl did all the things that they said happened to her yeah where does it how does it even get on the list of theories somebody could come up with such Crazy ideas. Well, allegedly. Supposedly, allegedly. Supposedly, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, animal hairs were found on her body and on the duct tape that was covering her mouth. Do, which... Whoa, 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 whoa. Do owls have hair? <laughs> they have feathers. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> um, which led to the theories that an animal such as an owl or beaver <laughs> killed her. Oh, my God. It's not 
funny, but the theory of the animal. The theory is, yeah. Yeah. The story is in no way funny. But the theory itself. The theory is. It's just way out there. Um, There is no possible explanation as to how an animal could have committed the murder. And if it was an animal, then we should be more scared of them. Yes. That would be uh, disturbing. Yes. But as far as that, um, as far as I know, there is still no suspect. It's closed now, right? So the mother passed away. Is the dad still alive? Sorry, put you on the spot there. (laughs) Um, I don't think. Well, maybe. Just curious. I'm assuming. I'm assuming this case is just closed, and it is what it is, and nobody's really investigating it right now. Now I want to look it up. He is still alive. I wonder if there's going to going to be one of these things where somebody talks when they're on their deathbed. I would put it more towards. I feel like the brother would talk after his father passes away. Let's say the do- if the father was on his deathbed, he probably wouldn't want to say anything because his son is still alive. Right? Yeah. So maybe the son, if he knows anything, maybe at some point he would come out. And that's again, that's assuming that they're involved, right? Yeah. No idea because it could have been, I guess, any one of the other, except for the owl. I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't and I don't believe the Katy Perry thing. I, you know, there is another story where an owl is allegedly involved. What story is that? Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the um, staircase. Incident. I've heard of staircases. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. There's this case. Um, I, I don't remember the exact name, but I know it has like the staircase murder or something. Um, I'll have to do a story. I personally don't think it's that interesting because like the owl theory for this one is way out there. That's just showing how somebody can make up some crazy theory and it, mm-hmm. it catches on and people pay attention. Yeah. Or Well, I mean, there is either a movie or a documentary about the whole thing. So yeah, I mean, why not? Yeah. <laughs> look, look at, uh, you know, the Kennedy murder. Yeah. assassination how many theories there are regarding that and how much you know how many books and everything there are about yeah. all these crazy theories yeah. that the owl was probably the craziest i thought Katy perry was crazy until i heard you until you mentioned the owl yeah well at least Katy perry isn't accused of no but well but now it sounds like well maybe the Katy perry thing isn't so crazy yeah. Other than the fact that some other child would have had to die because I'm assuming unless the pe- the police were totally involved in this, there was a child who died because they, you know, there was a body, right? Yeah. Oh, anyway. You know, I'm looking at his list of children. He has a lot of kids. John? Yeah. From? I'm uh, assuming they're from previous marriage or recent marriage. Oh. Uh, because he did remarry in 2011. I'm assuming they're... I, I would assume they're the most recent marriage. Because how are they not being brought up at all? I don't know. But yeah, that's that's it for John Bonet. Well, yeah, that's a really bizarre... Well, yeah, the whole thing is bizarre that they could mess up that investigation so, yeah. so badly. It's, it's sad. I mean, I wish there were answers and justice... Yeah, it's sad that obviously people get away with murder all the time, but for them to get away with it because of such a mess up. Mm -hmm. That was it? Yeah. All right. 
So tonight I decided to just do a few, um, some random stories that I ran across that I thought were kind of interesting. And maybe not too random because um, I guess I'd put them in the categories of weird coincidences, good or possibly bad luck, depending on how you look at it, and maybe a miracle. Interesting. Yes. So the first story uh, I'd put under the category of weird coincidences. Okay. And this is uh, a related Edgar Allan Poe. So in 1838, Edgar Allan Poe completed a novel. It's actually his only completed novel. Yeah. Um, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. In the story, the crew of a ship gets stranded with no food or water. Eventually, the men decide to draw straws to determine which one of them will be sacrificed for food. Oh, my. Yeah. How do you get to that point, right? Wait, you said they're at sea? Yeah. The unlucky character is named Richard Parker, and he is promptly stabbed to death, and you know, then they do their stuff. So jump ahead 46 years to 1884, and this is real life, not a, not a book anymore. Uh, a yacht named the Minunet, I believe that's the correct pronunciation, left England headed for Sydney, Australia. It subsequently sank in a storm, and the four-man crew uh, were lucky to escape in the lifeboat. Yeah. But then they were stranded again out at sea. At one point, they did manage to catch a turtle, um, but that only yielded about three pounds of meat and uh, wasn't enough to sustain them as they waited to be rescued. Yeah. See, that, that kind of grosses me out. I think about, well, I can't even imagine getting to the point of eating a person, but even catching a turtle and eating the turtle, assuming they had to eat it raw. Yeah, I was going to say how that doesn't seem appetizing. I have another comment, but let me let me finish the story <laughs> real quick. So one of the men, 17-year-old named Richard Parker, same name as the character in Poe's book, made the mistake of drinking the seawater oh. and fell gravely ill. The men considered drawing straws, to see who would be sacrificed for food, but one of the men figured that he was Parker was on his last legs anyway, so he promptly stabbed him in the neck with a penknife, and the other three men drank his blood and then ate him. Oh my. A few days after that, they were rescued. The men did go on trial, and two of them were sentenced to death. The other one claimed that he was never involved in the, the agreement to kill the guy. But then then eventually they, they dropped the charges to like, six months in prison yeah so that was the story what i wanted to go back to though was um when i was thinking about the turtle there was so if you were stranded on the ocean with one other person and a cat a cat yeah (laughs) which one would you (laughs) my puberty again which one would you more likely kill for food well, my question is, is why would I take a cat out to see? <laughs> just, it's just hypothetical. So you're on a, you were saying, would you rather kill the person and eat them to save you and the cat? Or would you rather kill the cat <laughs> to save you and the other person? See, my, my belief is that you would rather kill the other person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I'm a cat person, so yes. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> okay. All right. So we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. But I would just not go out to sea. Yes, that, that would be a good um, a good thing not to do. My question is, you said they were pulling straws. Yeah. 
You don't ask me where they got the straws. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to know, like, were they actual straws or like, were they? I don't know. I, I think that's a. Because it sounds like um, just a saying, you know, like a t-shirt. Yes, that is a saying. And I think that came from an etiquette of what to do when you have to decide who to kill to eat. Well, my other question, were straws even invented back then? Or well, was it like it straw like hay? Straw hay, right? <laughs> so I imagine there's a lot of, there, there could be a lot of hay on a ship. Well, maybe not a yacht, but. A <laughs> yacht. <laughs> yeah, I. I don't, I don't know what your straws were invented. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not going to look. Not going to look it up either. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not that interested in the straw. <laughs> I was just curious because I don't know if you were like, if it was like a literal. They had straws, and why were they carrying it on their lifeboat? <laughs> no, I think yeah, drawing straws is just a, a term. Uh, my other question is: Did it say anything about them getting sick? Because if the one that they killed and drank and ate was sick from drinking water. Well, I think he probably ruined his organs from all the salt, right? Yeah. So maybe if they were drinking his blood and eating the meat, I don't, you know, maybe they skipped the organs. I don't know. Yeah. No, as far as I know, they did not get sick. They were, you know, rescued a few days later. You know, I don't know what condition they were in. That's got to be a tough case to work on because how are you supposed to punish them when it's like survival? Well, I think that's what eventually they they came to was that they did what they had to do under the circumstances. So maybe they don't deserve life in prison for killing the guy. Totally getting off on a tangent of the (laughs) moral of the story was that (laughs) this real life stranded at sea mirrored an Ed Allan Poe from a a novel from however many years ago. I wonder if any of them read the novel because if I I did. And my name was the same name as the guy that got killed. I, I wouldn't go on a boat with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, now under the next story. Under the next story. Sutomu Yamaguchi, call him Ty. Ty. So Ty was an engineer, and he was in Hiroshima, Japan, on August sixth, nineteen forty-five, on a business for his employer when the U.S. B twenty-nine bomber, the Enola Gay, dropped the first atomic bomb on the city at 8.15 in the morning. He was about three kilometers from the blast zone, so that'd be about a little less, a bit less than two miles, but still suffered serious burns over the top half of his body, and he was temporarily blinded. Despite his injuries, he returned home to Nagasaki the next day. The next day? Yeah, that's what he says. Two days later, on August 9th at 11 a.m., the U.S. B-29 boxcar dropped the second atomic bomb on Nagasaki. And he was again, T.Y. was again three kilometers away. Although being that close to two nuclear blasts, he survived and lived to the age of 93. Oh my God. And died in, I believe, 2010. That's bad luck. They said he was the only person to officially be recognized by the Japanese government as surviving both attacks. But I did read in one article that there were at least 70 people who were known to have been affected by both blasts. So I'm not sure about the details of those or why he was the only official one. I just thought that was a really weird story that that he happened to be in both cities. At the time of the blast, be so close and then still live to be 93 years old. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's 
well, bad luck in the sense of, you know, you experience that when you're away and all you think, I imagine all you think about is you just want to get home. Yeah. And then experiencing that when you get home. Yeah, I don't know how he got home the next day. I think like your reaction was he was yeah. burned. He, bl- he was blinded. Didn't say how long he was blinded for, but then he, he managed to get home. Well, uh, yeah, I, well, I wonder if it was like a being life flighted or something. Hey, back then, it seemed like there had been so much chaos after a nuclear blast in yeah. the city. So that was that one. So let's go back out to sea. <laughs> okay. So the next story is about Violet Jessup. She was a nurse and an ocean liner stewardess who was given the name Miss Unsinkable. So in 1911, she was on board the British ocean liner, the RMS Olympic, which was the largest luxury ship at the time. It collided with the British warship, the HMS Hawk, in the English Channel. Luckily, there were no no fatalities, and the Olympic managed to get back to port at Southampton, where repairs for the Olymp- where the repairs were done. But it had they had to borrow the propeller shaft from its sister ship, which hadn't been out yet, the RMS Titanic. Yeah. So they the maiden voyage of the Titanic was actually delayed because its propeller was used to repair this other ship that Jessup was on. Jessup then joined the crew of the Titanic as a stewardess and was one of the 705 people who survived Wait, that many? the 1912 crash. Yeah. Um, I did not realize that many people. I should. 1,514 perished. Yeah. There was... 2,224 on board. So if I got my numbers correct, it was 705 people. Speaking of the survivors and the non-survivors, um, something you rarely hear mentioned is the animals aboard the ship. Yeah. My understanding where there were, you know, dogs, cats, there were some birds, but only three dogs actually survived. And I also read that there was actually an official ship cat named Jenny oh. that the crew took care of. I guess... Cats on a ship were a good idea because they help keep the rat population down. Rats on a ship? Out in sea? Yeah, well, they get up when they're in port. Oh. Uh, she actually she actually had a litter of kittens uh, a week before the Titanic set sail. Oh. But sadly, um, they did not survive. You're going to make me cry. Yeah. <laughs> See, you're crying about the cats, <laughs> but not about the 1,514 people. No, I think it's sad, obviously. Yeah. I think with animals, it's really hard because they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. Just like babies and little kids. Yeah. They have no idea what's going on. They can't defend themselves. No, I understand. Just, yeah. Just <laughs> so after that, which I can't even imagine going out to sea again, but she joined the crew of the HMA, excuse me, HMHS Britannic, which hit a sea mine and sank in November of 1916, 30 of the 1,065 people died there. Violet actually hit her head on the keel of the ship when jumping into the water, but credits her survival with her thick head of hair. If you've seen a picture of her, she has this this big head of hair. Yeah. And she says that she believes that saved her from a head injury when she, she hit the keel jumping off the ship. But anyway, that was a story that she had um, survived three ship crashes. That's... Two sinkings. Yeah. So is moral of the story, have um, a big head of hair? Yes, have a big head of hair and don't go out to sea. 
drove up to see. Don't let your cats go on cruises. Yeah. Okay, so next one. Another strange tale. So we have Shenandoah National Park Ranger Roy Sullivan, who holds the Guinness World Records for being struck by lightning more times than any person. Oh my gosh. Between 1942 and 1977, he was struck on seven separate occasions. Unfortunately, as the strikes continue, Roy started to believe that an otherworldly force was out to destroy him, and he developed a major fear of death. I have a list of the strikes, but I won't go into those details. The only one I think worth mentioning was his, I think it was his sixth strike in 76, when he saw a cloud and thought it was following him. You know, maybe that's why he started a mental breakdown because he started thinking that these storms were after him. Or maybe they were because he actually he did end up getting hit by lightning. Yeah. After seeing that cloud. Oh my god. So I don't know. Maybe there were other worldly things going after him. I did read just uh, just one mention. I did read a question about the legitimacy of lightning strikes, mainly because all seven were documented by the National Park Superintendent R. Taylor Hoskins. Even though Hoskins wasn't present for any of the strikes and Solvent wasn't even working during some of the strikes, uh, you know, it does lay some suspicion. Yeah. Uh, but he, he died in 1983, Solvent, not Hoskins, uh, from um, suicide. But it wasn't related to the lightning strikes. It was supposedly over rejected love. Oh. Yeah. Uh, some other... Nothing to do with Supernatural, but some interesting facts about lightning while we're talking about it. The average number of people struck by lightning in the U.S. is 270 a year. That many? Yeah, that would surprise me. Uh, Another surprising fact is that 90% actually survive lightning strikes. I would have thought more people would have died. Yeah. Um, And your odds of getting struck by lightning are in a lifetime are 15,300 to 1, which I would have thought the odds are a lot higher. Yeah. 32% 32% of lightning injuries actually occur indoors. I guess I should have taken those warnings more seriously to stay off the phone or not take a ba- uh, not take a shower or bath when there's a storm. Stay off the phone? Yeah, well, this was this was a before your landline, land line, yeah, landline. where actually, there was actually a wire going from the 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 mouthpiece to the to the yeah, to the ground. So, yeah, I can I think now it's safe to to be on the phones. What about with showering, though? Well, I guess you do have metal coming in from the the water coming in. I guess the lightning could hit the line outside because it is up above ground, yeah. at least out in certain areas. So, yeah. I don't know. I remember, and I, I know this is kind of off topic, off topic, but I mean, I was told the same thing. When it's storming, don't take a shower or bath. Yeah. But one time when I was at camp, and it was storming really bad. And I understand because at camp, we spent most of the time outside. Like, you kind of want to, you know, wash all that off before mm-hmm. going to bed. But it was storming and lightning really bad. And I was like, oh, you should probably wait to shower in the morning or, like, at least later at night because it's lightning. And they're like, oh, no, like, the water comes from a well. And I'm like, do you not see the giant metal coming <laughs> from the well? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just... I think it's probably safer to just wait. 
till after the storm. That's what I did. I was yeah. like, you, you guys, go ahead. It's your problem now. One interesting thing I, I read was I found that the Yamaguchi, Jessup, and Sullivan on a number of were on a number of lists of unluckiest people in the world. I guess to me that's a matter of perspective, but because I would consider at least Yamaguchi and Jessup to be some of the luckiest people. Yeah. But anyway, so that was that. Uh, Sullivan, obviously, probably unlucky, right? Yeah. You know, he did survive seven strikes, but that's got to piss you off and mess with your head, right? Well, I think maybe unlucky for all of them in a sense of, like, it keeps happening. Because it's like, I feel like it's one of the situations that, you know, the bomb... Yeah, well, for her, then just don't go out to sea anymore. But how do you... You should feel lucky that you survived those wrecks and yeah. find a new line of work. But maybe it was hard back then for her to find work. Okay, so at some point, if if she had gotten into another another shipwreck and actually died, then I would say, okay, yeah, she was unlucky. Yeah. She she kept having these bad things and it eventually got to her. And yes, being in, in two nuclear ba- blasts is unlucky, but he did survive and he did live to 93, which is a lot more longer than a lot of people can say. So again, perspective, right? I think my viewpoint, though, is that has to have a lot of trauma attached to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, not saying that they're, yeah, I'm not saying that they weren't scarred from these experiences, but. But maybe that's what they mean by unlucky. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah, I okay. mean, survivors go for all those cases and stuff. I don't know. I think, allegedly, <laughs> supposedly, allegedly, if your hair randomly gets staticky outside, allegedly, that means that. You are going to be struck by lightning. Yes. If my hair got static outside, I would be figuring out where the hell do I run to. Wait, wait, wait. What hair? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Claws out, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You want to go there? (laughs) Yeah. uh, For your information, I was talking about the hair in my ears. Not the nose, because those don't stand up. They just tingle. Just tingle? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, not that it's any of your business, but when my hair stands up, I'm going to look for somewhere to run. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Or I was going to say from the the movie Twister, where the guy says, bend over and stick your butt in the air, because that's the best place to get struck by lightning. What? (laughs) Got all that uh, muscle back there. I don't know. Okay, I ended my last story. My last story, but I think uh, my favorite. So Martha Paul was the choir director at the West End Baptist Church in Beatrice, Nebraska between 1920 and 1950. She was very strict about punctuality when it came to choir practice, and with very few exceptions, everyone would arrive on time. Okay. On March 1st, 1950, the 15-member choir had a practice scheduled, and Martha asked everyone to be there at 7.25 p.m. That afternoon, Reverend Walter Kempel had gone to the church to set things up for the choir. Being a chilly day, he decided to light the boiler so that it would be warm for their practice. It is thought that a gas leak filled the church and was ignited by the boiler. The explosion occurred at the church at 727, so two minutes after choir practice, was to start. After the supporting walls blew out, the roof crashed down and the church was demolished. Oh my gosh. The amazing thing is that the church was empty at the time. 
Although the members could not remember a time when anyone was late, all of the members were delayed that day. Rowan Estes and her sister were driving together and had car trouble. The reverend's wife was ironing a dress because their daughter, Marilyn Ruth, had spilled food on the one she had been planning on wearing. Lucille Jones lost track of time while listening to the radio, so she and Dorothy Wood, who Lucille was going to pick up, were both late. Martha Paul's daughter, Marilyn, was the pianist and had planned to get on getting there 30 minutes early, but she fell asleep after dinner. Her mother had trouble getting her up and ready, and they both ended up being running late. Mrs. Leonard Schuster would have normally arrived five minutes early with her daughter, Susan, but she had to stop by her mother's house. LaDonna Vandergriff was having trouble with a geometry problem, causing her to be late. Herbert Kipp was wanting to get a letter in the mail and planned on being a few minutes late so he could drop it off. Harvey All was taking care of his two sons while his wife was away and had planned on taking them with him. They got to talking and when he looked at his watch, saw that they were late. And Joyce Black, who lived across the street from the church, was ready but tired that evening and was having trouble getting up the energy to get going. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. Especially all of them. Yeah. Everyone. So what you're saying is that geometry can actually save your life? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if that's what you want to take away from this. That's crazy. That's scary. Like, that's really scary to think about, like, you were supposed to be in that building. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Imagine the lady who lived right across the street. That that would be... And to to see that go on. So, that was it. That's all I had. It's getting late. Yeah. Been a long, long, uh... Long show. Yeah. Thank you once again for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12past3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night.